as we continue in the Ten Commandments, remember how these were written on two tablets. God gave them on two tablets, and in many ways that helps explain their nature. There's two kinds of commandments. There's the commandments, the first four, which are vertical in direction. They're giving us insight into what it means to know who God is and to worship Him properly. And that's what we just spent the last few weeks on, the who and the how of worship, ending with the fourth commandment, which is of those four is the only one that's positive. Remember, eight of the commandments are negative, you shall not, and two of them are positives. And last week was the first of the two positives, honor the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, which, as I mentioned when we opened service this morning, we're even doing right now. This is the first of the last six commandments, which are horizontal in direction. They're speaking about what it means to rightly live in our families, in our churches, in our communities, to rightly love neighbor, to love God and love neighbor sums up the law, and those cover the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. So this is the first of the horizontal, and we will spend time with it today. To be honest with you, though, it's a tough one. It's a tough one because it is pushing against what in our culture is a strong questioning of authority that we regularly have. Our our culture likes to question authority. We just do. We were the first nation to reject a king, which Mark Knoll in his book, America's God, Mark Knoll was a professor at Wheaton for many, many years. In his book, America's God was, argues that actually such a move was denying God's structure and hierarchy for the world. And the language of honor dictates, speaks about the fact that there is a hierarchy in God's created order. We believe in the self-made person, the buffered self, the isolated individual. Choice is our foundation. We love to speak of rights and liberty. So just be aware. If you came today thinking, well, this is a no-brainer. This is my favorite Ten Commandments. It deals with those 18 and under. You got another thing coming. Kids, this is the good sermon. You can elbow mom and dad. Are you listening up? But don't worry, kids. It'll talk to you too. This commandment is speaking about God's design for authority and structure. If God is king and Lord over all things, how has he created a world that reflects that design and that order? Remember, the commandments are the foundation. These ten commandments are the foundation for all God's laws and all principles of right worship of him and right living among one another. So a thin view of this would be, hey, kids, go to bed on time and eat your vegetables. But a much thicker view, as you'll see, is not only in Scripture, but in the history of our church, is that this commandment is speaking about all authority that is over us as assigned by God. And we must be reflective and responsive to that. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into this commandment. Father, help us to hear from your word, to listen to its both command, but also its promise of blessing, and to reflect this in the way we interact, not only in our biological families, but even in our church family, and even in our culture and society. Just give us wisdom. Father, may your spirit apply these words to us, your word to our souls. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The commandment is short, and it's followed by a promise Honor your father and your mother. 
Even that is loaded in what was clearly a patriarchal culture. It wasn't just the father that's mentioned. It's both. Fitting God's design for the family. And then it ends with this promise. So that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That, that's, that's Old Testament, Old Covenant language. That's language of blessing. I mean, this is, this is the way God designed the world. So if you want to actually know what it means to flourish as a human, as God's creatures, we should align ourselves with our creator. Rather than swimming against the current, we actually know how God made the world and we function that way. And ultimately that blessing language at the end of Exodus 20, 12 is simply saying, this is what human flourishing looks like. But the key word there is honor. Honor is an important word. If I were to define it for us, I would give three words that explain it. Honor means to show reverence, obedience, and gratitude. All three of those are included. Let's apply it to the specific case of father and mother, which is the clearest in the text. To show reverence to a father and a mother is not saying that parents are deserving in and of themselves but it means that their office carries weight or respect. So I, I like to use the word office to think of a position, irrespective of the person. Because there can be bad moms and bad dads. There can be people in the office of president for whom you did not vote or you disagree with. There can be pastor elders in an office that will come and go. But the office has its own weight and is worthy of a level of respect. So the office of parent is worthy of respect. It carries some weight. So just acknowledging our position in relationship to the office is the first step of honor and understanding what honor means. The second is obedience. Again, not that parents are God, but they have a derived authority. And they pass along God's instructions. So with any office that is above us, as we'll talk about, not just in the home, but in the church or in the society, there is a derived authority that must be respected. It must be obeyed. Not that something goes against scripture, but again, hard cases make bad law. We're talking about the general norm that we acknowledge an authority over us. Again, remember, in each aspect of this, our culture has catechized us to push against that. We like language of liberty, freedom, and rights. And here's one saying, you actually lose certain rights when there's an authority above you, whether that's in the home or in the church or in government. The last part of honor, reverence, obedience, and gratitude. A sense of appreciation for parents, for a mom or a dad or the service and sacrifice that they provided to stick with that area, to talk about moms and dads. Okay, maybe we don't think about that. Maybe, maybe you look back, maybe when you're 16, you're not full of gratitude for the rules given to you. Maybe even when you're in your early 20s, you're appreciating and enjoying a certain level of freedom. But I wonder if after you've had a few kids and you've gone through those sleepless nights and you think, oh, my mom and dad did this. Or those difficult moments and you look back and say, oh, my mom and dad did this. You remember, you see how you were gifted with a mom or a dad or both that served you, that loved you, that cared for you, even if in perfect ways as 
you yourself might be imperfect. It fills you with a sense of gratitude. So that's what honor would mean. So just so we're clear, to honor your father and mother is to show reverence to their to the office, the position that they have above you as assigned by God, to show obedience to what you are to obey, and to show gratitude and appreciation. But let's look at this more thickly. The second thing I'd share with you this morning is this, that the fifth commandment demands that Christians honor, love, and be loyal to all the authorities assigned to them by God. You might think that this commandment is obviously clearly speaking about father and mother, but I would like to tell you that Scripture itself, not just a church tradition or not just a potential application, but Scripture itself sees this command and develops it to reflect a kind of authority that is due to an honor that is due to all sets of authorities that God has established. Not, not, not human-created authorities, but godly established authorities and what he includes in that. In the Bible, authority is good. Again, that just goes directly against at least the impulse in our day. In the Bible, authority is good, and parental authority or family authority is the original form of authority. It is God's design. So this commandment in that sense is speaking into God's design for the family, but it is also speaking into the church and the authority that is there. Our, our, the, the text that was read just moments ago, Mark 3, look at those, they're in, they're in your notes for you, Mark 3, 31 to 35. Listen to Jesus broaden the sense of mother, for example. And his mother and his brothers and sisters came. It'd be good if the ESV included sisters here. The masculine plural is often included for both genders. And clearly Jesus was referring to sisters because notice verse 35, my brother and sister. So his mother and his brothers and sisters came, standing outside, they sent to him and called him. Now that might just sound like a nice little visit, but that may have been that the family was thinking Jesus was a little bit crazy. Like early on in his ministry, like his brothers completely rejected him. They didn't understand what, they mocked him for what he was doing. And maybe even his mom was kind of wondering, dude, what are you doing? So there may have been a sense where they were coming to bring him back home. Notice Joseph isn't mentioned. Almost certainly Joseph was well older than Mary was. So at this point, arguably, he's barely noticed in the Gospels other than the birth of Jesus. Most think that at this point, Joseph had already passed away. Average age in that time could have easily been 40s, early 50s. If Jesus is 30-ish years old, Joseph could have been 30 when Jesus was born. Joseph is not in the picture beyond the early narratives. Again, we don't know much more about that. The gospel spend way more time talking about God as father than Joseph as father. But the reality is that this is probably the entire family coming to speak with Jesus. Jesus doesn't seem to be responding, so verse 32 says, and a crowd who was sitting around him actually said to him, hey Jesus, your mother and your brothers and sisters, notice the plural, are outside seeking you. Like you, they want you to come to, to them. And Jesus answered them, verse 33, who are my mother and my brothers and sisters? Well, it's clearly a rhetorical question because I think in one sense, everybody would have known that. Well, the people outside calling for you. 
Notice how this is framed. And looking about at those who sat around him. I love how the narrator adds that. Like he doesn't just define it. It's almost like it wants you to picture Jesus looking at all of the people who have come to be his disciples. Looking at them all. And then he says this. After looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers and sisters. For whoever does the will of God He is my brother and sister and mother. Now notice how the text expands from the natural family to the supernatural family in that one text. Again, that's not not denying that God established the natural family, not at all. It's just simply saying we can understand family in the natural sense, ideally and Lord willing, a mom and a dad and 2.5 children and a dog and two fish. But we can also understand it being a supernatural family that is not because a family related just by their own bloodline, but a family connected and related through the blood of Christ. So it wouldn't be wrong for the church or a scripture later to look at Exodus 20 and 12 and say, well, who is my mother? Who is my family to whom I'm submitted? Well, the natural family for sure, but also the church. Yet even then, this same text, Exodus 20, 12, was used throughout Scripture to speak to the authority, any authority God established even in culture. Proof of this is a few examples from the Westminster Catechism Larger and the Heidelberg Catechism. I put them in your notes for you to see. The Larger Catechism 124 says this, Who are meant by father and mother in the fifth commandment? The answer, by father and mother in the fifth commandment are meant not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts. And especially such as by God's ordinance are over us in place of authority, whether in family, church, or commonwealth, i.e. family, church, or government. Man, that's a much bigger category of the fifth commandment than just This means I got to eat my lima beans at dinner? It's bigger than lima beans. By the way, we should never be serving lima beans. (laughs) Green beans are fine. How about the Heidelberg Catechism 104? What is God's will for you in the fifth commandment? That I honor, love, and be loyal to my father and mother and, notice it didn't stop there, and all those in authority over me. That's, That's pretty broad. And listen to what it says, that I submit myself with proper obedience to all their good teaching and discipline, and also that I be patient with their failings. Could I I say that again? That I be patient with their failings, for through them, even those who make mistakes, God, quote, chooses to rule us. Well, that's... Thickens the fifth commandment. And, and, and you can understand why. These commandments were like the foundation of a house upon which the rest of the structure would be built. So they're meant to be wide and deep so that they can sustain a lot of different kind of development and application that the rest of God's 600 plus laws in the Old Testament would flow from. They were meant to cover all authority, not just parents. 
But I think about that interesting about what the Heidelberg Catechism, again, think of generation after generation of Christians memorizing this when they were young and saying out loud, and also that I might be patient with their failings. Yes, kids, be patient with your parents. Yes, grown kids, adults, be patient with your aging parents. Be patient with your church leaders. How about this? Be patient with your governmental authorities. Man, maybe two years ago, mid-March, we probably should have talked about the fifth commandment. Maybe a Christian response to the fifth commandment, rather than having slogans that would shred presidents and their office or governors, might have patience with Pritzker. Patience with Pritzker. Maybe that should be the road sign you put in your yard instead of the other ones that you've often seen. Patience with Pritzker. Because you know the Heidelberg Catechism. You know God's structure of authority. You understand people will fail. Whether you agreed with that or not, there will be things with which you disagree. And the Christian knows that those authorities, fallen, broken, good, bad, are the ones through whom God chooses to rule over us. But again, everything that we, that we are catechized in our culture about rights and freedom and liberty need a whole lot of reining in if you're going to get to the fifth commandment and what it's asking. And even from that, to be fair, there's a lot of complexity we can ask about living in a particular democracy and what this looks like and a constitutional republic and all of those things. Fair enough. But at least our posture or our desire could begin to ask the good questions. Have I shown patience to Pritzker over the last two years? Or have I spoken against him as often as I can. See, we're seeing this in our culture, and even if we were to hone back into the topic of the family, we are seeing selfish and brokenness in family life. Now, to be fair, this isn't this, this, this generation. We can often have a narrow view of this. This has always been the case. Don't just look at the young generation now. Let's not just blame millennials for something again. That, that's just naivete and honestly blindness. That's every generation. If God brought this up in Exodus thousands of years ago, I'm pretty sure he wasn't just saying it for this last generation. This explains the promise at the end that we already mentioned earlier. This blessing language. Like, this is the way God designed the world. Like, this, listen, kids, adults, Regarding government or church or your home, God designed the world for you to have authority over you. That's exactly what he designed. Human flourishing includes an understanding of this. The Apostle Paul, when talking about this commandment, says that this is the, Ephesians 6.2, this is the first commandment with a promise. Like if you want to know, I mean, here's, here's the only commandment with some kind of prosperity bent to it. If you want to know what's going to be good for you in your life, honor your mother and father, Honor your church leadership and honor your government authorities. And God's promise works itself out in church and society. When old age is shunned and youth is worshiped, we are not reflecting this commandment and we are not receiving its promise. And you would have to say that in our world today, 
Youthfulness is worshipped. And old age is shunned. And the church should be totally countercultural. I love the fact that last night, sitting at our table, my son, 15-year-old son, was there at this table, and he's sitting literally next to a 65-year-old and 72-year-old man. And they are literally talking about eagles for 30 minutes. And, and a shot of deer my son took when he was out in the woods earlier that day. And they're just conversing about animals and about life. And they're asking him about his school. And I'm sitting there talking to some other guys, and I just hear that conversation. I'm just so thankful to see this multi-intergenerational conversation happening at our little discussion table yesterday. And I want my son to see that there's such wisdom in those two brothers who are sitting right next to him and to learn as much as they can, just as honestly their father should be doing the same thing. That's a good thing. We, did, we, decided, we, didn't, we didn't divide when we were talking about the men's retreat this weekend. We didn't put all the younger high school guys at one table. I wanted my son sitting next to 60 and 70-year-olds. And honestly, you could see how it was good for those men too. The church is going to be counter-cultural in that way. We have a lot of work to do. When we think about third thing and last thing before I apply this, when we think about this commandment, we must always remember, always, that these commandments were ultimately something we could not fulfill. Like we never want to use the commandments to just have us feel the weight of God's law and holiness and walk away missing the gospel. What is so beautiful about the Ten Commandments is every one of them shows us what we can't do and Jesus did in our stead. That's why I said, why do you think each of these commandments are written in the singular. The you shall nots and the you shalls are all singular. They're talking to one person. Why? Because it wasn't going to be any of God's people who could fulfill these laws. Who would be the obedient son? Who would show respect and obedience and gratitude to his father? It would not be any of you. It would be Jesus. Remember what the law reveals? The law reveals three things. So remember this, every time you read through your Old Testament, the general rule of thumb, here it is. Every law is going to tell us something about God and his character. God, and even as we're seeing here, he created the world with a purpose and design. There's a structure for our flourishing. And we follow that flourishing. We follow that plan. There is blessing because that's what it means to be human. Something about God, something about us that's going to show our sinfulness. We don't even need to look far. We can just look in our own hearts and see our rebellion against God's authority in the garden. Man, you got this beautiful creation and this harmony with God. It wasn't enough. So we don't need to look at any one generation to find that. We can just go back to the first Adam and see that was it. And that's all of us. So not only God's character, not only human sinfulness, but every law also reveals our need for Christ. So here's the third thing I say to us today. The fifth commandment shepherds us to see that Christ is both the one who honored the Father and through whom we honor our authorities. Because this, command, because this commandment is in the singular, and therefore it's spoken by the Father to the Son, then Jesus perfectly reflects what it looks like to honor, love, and serve the Father. And we just follow Jesus. So that when we honor the authority of our parents, when we honor the authority of our church, when we honor the authority of governing authorities, 
we ultimately honor Christ. And here, here's an example of this. When Paul quotes the fifth commandment in Ephesians 6, and he's speaking for a moment to children, listen to what he does. Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents. Here's the key phrase. Obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Like he doesn't even just kind of root it in, you're going to listen to your parents, full stop. He, even then, is pointing the children to see that it's about Christ. Obey your parents in the Lord. It would always be through Christ and in Christ that we would live this out. So I want to end with talking about what this fifth commandment would look like if we were to obey it. And before I do, I just want to preface that and say, we can talk about general principles and even postures but it is difficult to personally apply this with the variety of situations sitting here. Because we've got people where there is severe brokenness, even abuse in families, that we just need to be aware of. So you, it really ultimately requires not just wisdom, counsel, lots of perspective and insight to apply these things well, but it also actually requires a Holy Spirit who will then, by the preaching of God's word, help us respond properly to what his word is trying to say. And that's what's beautiful about God is he's never simply entrusting it to me or even to you to handle this well, but God's spirit will guide his children to live this out well. But let's start with what honor, honoring authority in the home would look like. So let's call it the natural family. And I'm going to start with kids. Don't worry, kids. I'll talk to your parents next. So you get, get your elbows ready. Kids, did you know that your parents are God's gifts to you? Like he literally knew that what you would need to thrive, to be safe, to be healthy, to be cared for, would be your mom and or your dad. This commandment would encourage you, command you to speak well of your parents and to speak carefully to them. It would push against critical talk you might do, grumbling over this or that, or even the pretend to know better. This commandment would ask you to serve your parents and all the people in authority over you, to show respect to your teachers to the lady in the lunchroom, to a police officer on the street, to your teacher in a growth hour Sunday school class, but certainly in the home to your moms and or your dads. This commandment would ask you to listen to your parents and the people placed in authority over you, to give weight, real weight to their opinions, their presence and their advice. And ultimately, this commandment asks you to submit to your parents by knowing your place, by trusting their authority and honoring their expectations. Here, here's little things you could do. Even just thinking about the word honor, meaning gratitude, you know what you could do this week? You know what you could do today? You could say, thanks, mom or dad. Thanks. You could just simply say, even when you don't want to, about a bedtime or a room clean or whatever chore, you could say, yes, mom or dad. And you could not be afraid to say you're sorry. And according to this commandment, kids, the promise is, this is actually how God designed for your betterment and flourishing. 
All right, adult kids. Wouldn't it be nice? You thought coming, oh, this is great. This is for my kids and grandkids. This isn't for me. Wrong. This commandment would have actually and arguably been viewed as not primarily referring to kids at all in the ancient world. We live in a kids first culture. That was not the culture in which this was written. There wasn't even an option or a question of denying that authority. So guess to whom this commandment was generally interpreted to be talking to? Adults. That's not how we often think of it. Probably in most contexts we think it's talking to kids. But as you'll see, Jesus, when he talks about this commandment, he actually is primarily talking to adults who have aging parents. Adults, your parents are those for whom you have responsibility as they age and become dependent. This commandment requires adult children to honor their parents practically by caring for them in their old age. Now again, remember what I said, practices and postures are easy to talk about. Specific applications can be much harder. There can be real brokenness, real division, or different situations that make this more difficult. All I would say is, like every week, hopefully, you say, Lord, direct me by your spirit to know what this looks like for me in my life. Let me give you some examples in Scripture. Ezekiel 22 links honoring parents as equally as important as caring for orphans and widows. So like if we are supposed to be caring for the mom that, or the woman that has no right to a, a property, husband is gone, caring for her and her physical needs, if we're supposed to be caring for kids and their physical needs, then we're supposed to be caring for the aging and their physical needs. Now again, in a culture that wants to separate from that, get away from that and worship youthfulness, that may not be happening, but the church should be a counterculture. Even more, Jesus ripped on the Pharisees. I mean, you want to see him probably get red in the face, it would have been in Mark 7. Because he is talking about the Ten Commandments and he's speaking about God's law. And here's what he accused the Pharisees of. The Pharisees, instead of caring for their aging parents, are giving that money and giving it to the temple so that they can say, well, we're giving our things to more important things. We're giving it to God. And Jesus brings the heat and says that they literally are worthy of condemnation for they have disobeyed the commands of God. So what's this look like for us? Well, maybe little things. If you live at a distance from your parents, call them. Like reach out. Feel a, a sense of compassion and care, checking in, relationship, that can easily, we can just be separated. If they live within range, I, we're busy. We're super busy. We're experts at busyness. That's an idol. And we've got our own marriages and children to care for, get it, and work. And there's a lot of stresses, and I understand, but I can only imagine that Jesus Christ would expect that you would have a hospitable and caring and relational nature with your parents. If they are in distance, are you visiting them enough? Are they lonely? A stat we heard last night at our men's conference, 34 million Americans live alone. 
That's about one out of 10. And it just made me think, how many of those are an aging mom or an aging dad and their kids are in driving distance? And the world may not respond to that at all, but you know what the children of God do? They honor their parents. And they may be 60 years old and they honor their parents. And that honoring is respect, obedience, which looks a little different when you're 60 years old, but gratitude and hospitality. Maybe you just need to thank them. Maybe you just need to thank your parents. You could be 22 and independent, and you could say, Mom, Dad, thank you. I've relied on you all the time, and to be honest, I've taken it for granted. Thank you. Thank you. We haven't even always agreed. I haven't responded all as well. Thank you. All that reflects... All that reflects the way God designed human flourishing. And maybe lastly, if you're an adult with aging parents or parents with need, just evaluate. Begin a process with your spouse or with extended family. Evaluate if there's any way you can serve them better. Lord, what should I do to care for my mom or to care for my dad? It's not going to be an easy question. Like I said, these things are complex. But I think the question is worth asking and praying about. Let's talk about showing honor to authority in the church. If we've talked about the natural family, let's talk about the supernatural family. Again, if we've talked about one interpretation of Exodus 20, now we're talking Mark 3 in Jesus' language. The church historically has long used the image of God the Father and then paired it with a metaphor that explains the church and called the church our mother. In a sense of saying it is in the family of God that A new baby in Christ is born and nurtured and discipled and cared for, and eventually they participate back in doing some of that care. How beautiful is that? The church then is a parental authority over the Christian child of God. In fact, the word discipleship and discipline have the same root. Disciple, discipline, same word. So like human parents, every Christian should honor, love, and be loyal to their church family. Again, think of honor as both reverence, a respect for the reality of the body of Christ, obedience, authority assigned over us by Christ, and even just gratitude. The speaker this weekend prodded us by saying that we need to rethink we are not consumers in our churches. We are stewards in our churches. Just like you would hope that your kids would not just be consumers, but would be participating age age level appropriate in the life of the family. So too in the life of the church. Last thing, what's it look like to honor authority in society? This is the one where you get the most questions. Or the ones you would just, you would hope that the Heidelberg Catechism and the Westminster catechism larger is a little bit wrong. We won't agree what it looks like in principle regarding what to do with masks or anything else, but what about our attitudes or postures? Again, the word honor is helpful. As long as they're not disobeying scripture, should obedience be part of that? In the history of the church, the answer would be yes. A level of respect for the office because God made the office? Yeah, whether you voted for the person, the position is God-ordained. 
And what about just gratitude, common grace, blessing? But we've become experts, Facebook posters, Twitter statements, Instagram, and just harsh conversations about positions that God established for the common good and human flourishing. And the world may speak that way about one another. Our own political candidates may speak that way against one another, but the church is a counterculture. Is slandering a president or a governor or party fit the honor test? Should a Christian ever have a sign that mocks a president? My, we literally cannot, I cannot drive my daughter to fifth grade without seeing a car regularly in front of us that mocks our current president. Should a Christian do that too? Should I speak that way? Even if I disagree, aren't there other avenues that I can deal with that? What about this? Is direct disobedience... When we disagree or redefine what we claim are our rights, okay? Or how about regarding gratitude? Is complaining and just general apathy a reflection of gratitude? These are deep heart issues. That yes, this commandment is not just talking about bedtimes for kids. It's talking about all God's children, whatever their age in the home, in the church, and in the society. Again, none of this is because our governing leaders have innate authority or moral superiority. Absolutely not. Remember the Heidelberg? To be understanding when they make their mistakes, be patient with their failings. The reason that it connects to governing authorities is because we believe what Paul wrote in Romans 13. Listen to his words. There is no authority except from God. That's pretty all-inclusive. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist, get this, will incur judgment. Now, those are deep things, but in the least, brothers and sisters, I would hope that our postures and our attitudes and maybe our just critical spirit would be humbled and repentant when we hear the fifth commandment. We're going to end singing praise to a God who is king of kings and the father of fathers in a moment. Before we do, let's, let's close in prayer. Father, we, we want to heed the fifth commandment, and each week we've seen how these commandments are thicker and broader and deeper than we may have initially thought. And maybe even as adults in the room, it'd be nice if it was just about bedtimes and lima beans, but now it's about governing officials. Now it's about quarantining and mandates. Now it's about laws and principles with which we might strongly disagree. Lord, we may need a seminar from our first century Roman Christians to help us navigate living in a post-Christian world. But I pray that we would be a different kind of people than the world around us. That we would respond well like 
brothers and sisters for centuries memorizing the Heidelberg Catechism would be patient with the failings of our parents, of our church leadership, and even in our government. And we would show a respect and obedience and a gratitude to all authorities over us. Lord, help us to honor you by the way we honor the authorities you have placed over us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.